Well, good morning. Thanks so much for being here today. I want to welcome those who are watching us at our various campuses and those who are watching online and those who are watching by TV. We're really glad that uh, you have joined with us, and I want to thank you especially for being here. I'll never forget uh, one of the saddest and yet one of the most enlightening conversations I've ever had in my life. I was talking to a member of, uh, of one of the churches I pastored. You wouldn't know which one it was, but I was talking to a member of a church and I would consider this man to be a good friend. As a matter of fact, I would, would tell you he's one of the most faithful members of our church. And I don't even remember where we were going, but we were driving down the road, and, and he brought up this issue of uh, interracial marriage. Well, to my shock, he told me that he had actually left a church one time where he had been a member for many years, and the reason why he left this church is because his pastor had performed an interracial marriage. And he went to his pastor and he objected to the marriage and um, because of that, he left the church. Well, frankly, that led to a very heated conversation about race. And it culminated when I asked him this question. I said, let me give you a hypothetical situation. I said, would you rather your daughter marry a black man who is passionately in love with Jesus, who is faithful to the church, who is committed to the faith, who is on fire for God, or would you rather your daughter marry a white atheist? I thought that was a pretty easy question to answer for me. It was for him. He didn't even hesitate. He said, I would rather she marry a white atheist. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, if she married a black man, I would disown her immediately and she'd never be welcome in my house again. Now, to be honest with you, I not only wanted to kick him out of my car, I wanted to kick him out of my church. And, and I don't mind telling you that I let him know in no uncertain tones, the terms that his attitude was unbiblical, his attitude was ungodly, his attitude was unchristian. Now, we're finishing a series today that we're calling the elephant in the room. And you probably already picked up the issue that we're dealing with today is racism. Now, let me just begin by stating the obvious in case some of you are very nearsighted or whatever. I'm a white man. Okay, if you didn't pick that up, let me just go ahead and kind of get that out. I'll, I want to be totally transparent today, okay? I am a white man. I grew up in the buckle belt of the Deep South. I had ancestors who served in the Confederate Army. I've never been a victim of racism. I don't know what it's like to feel racism. So I wanna ask every person of color who's listening to me right now just to give me some grace in this message, okay? I want to sympathize with you, but I really can't empathize with you because I've never felt what a lot of you have felt in your life. And by the way, let me give credit here to a couple of men. I'm very thankful for the conversations that I've had with a couple of dear friends. One's Jason Kane, who as you know is on our staff. And the other is a good buddy of mine named Daniel Grissom. These are both African-Americans. And we've had some very deep, strong conversations about race. And they've taught me something. They've taught me this. They've taught me that white people think some things are about race, where minorities and black people and other people think some things are not about race. And this whole issue of race goes far deeper than we even realize or we even want to admit. Let me give you an example. 
Let me tell you why we're talking about this and why I know this is an elephant in the room, even in the church, and why the church needs to have this discussion. In a recent Barna survey, only 56% of evangelicals, that would be people like us, we would be called evangelicals, only 56% agree that people of color are often placed at a social disadvantage. Now, that's lower than the national average of 67%. Yet at the same time, 95% of people like us, 95% of evangelicals think that the church plays a critical role in racial reconciliation. That's higher than the national average of 73%. Now, these, now what does that mean? Well, you put those two things together, here's what it tells us. What it tells us is that we think, that we, the church, that we're the best equipped people to deal with this problem of racism and we're the best equipped people to bring racial reconciliation. On the other hand, we don't think it's nearly as needed as the rest of the country does. So it's an elephant in the room. Dr. Billy Graham was once asked this question. They said, Dr. Graham, if you could eliminate one single problem on this planet, what would it be? His reply was, Racial prejudice and racism. Now think about that. Of all the problems he could have chosen, Dr. Graham said, if we could eliminate just one problem, it wouldn't be poverty, it wouldn't be lack of clean water, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, it wouldn't even be a lack of, of food or anything else. He said, if I could eliminate one problem, it would be racial prejudice and racism. Now, here's the whole cold hard truth. Everybody in this room, including this man right here, has been guilty of prejudice at one time or another. And that's true of everybody. We all have our certain prejudices. We all have our certain biases. And racial prejudice is something that nobody wants to admit, at least if you're civil and you want to be recognized as civilized. You know, you've got some whack jobs out there that don't mind telling you they are. But, you know, if you're civilized and if you're civil, if you are racially prejudiced or biased or you have, you have racism in your heart, you don't want anybody to know it. And the problem is it's been with us since the beginning of the republic. Because by now, we all know those famous words from the Declaration of Independence, right? We all, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that, say it with me, all men are created equal, right? That's what we wrote in our Declaration of Independence. However, that did not apply to all human beings, regardless of gender or ethnicity at the time that document was written. Because as you well know, we wrote into our Constitution that black men were only to be considered three-fifths of a person. I don't even know how they arrived at that fraction. I mean, what part do you leave off, right? But I mean, they said, you know, black men are only three-fifths of a person. And when they wrote that in, it just reinforced and, and expressed that the color of your skin either makes you superior to somebody or it makes you inferior to somebody. Now, let me just stop and say this. If we had never heard of racism in our life, common sense would tell us there's no way that just the color of a person's skin should make you inferior to someone or superior to someone. And yet, we wrote that into our document. As a matter of fact, let me define, let me just go ahead and tell you what I, what I mean when I talk about prejudice, okay? We kind of understand our term here, okay? Prejudice is when we make a distinction between people that God doesn't make. That's prejudice. Anytime you make a distinction between people that God does not make, that is prejudice. Now, racism is taking prejudice to another level. Racism is when we discriminate against people on just one simple basis, the pigmentation of their skin. That's the only basis that we use. It's not their personality, it's not their looks, it's not their education, it's not this, it's not that. Racism is when we say somehow, for some reason, 
You're inferior to me because you're not the same color of skin that mine is. That's what we're talking about. Now, to be clear, as I said, we all discriminate against certain people at certain times for different reasons. Rick Warren says there are at least five areas where we're tempted to discriminate. And I'll be honest, I've been guilty of all five. Rick Warren said that sometimes we can discriminate on the basis of appearance. So, you know, we favor people who are good looking over people who are not so good looking. And we, we now know, you know, studies will show you if two people are interviewed for a job and one person has straight teeth and another person has crooked teeth, the person with straight teeth gets hired. By the way, if you have no teeth, you're not getting hired, okay? So we discriminate on the basis of appearance. Then he said we discriminate on the basis of age. So here's what we do. If we're older, we kind of look down on you inexperienced younger, young people, right? But if you're young, you look down your nose at old-fashioned old people. We all kind of tend to discriminate on that basis. Then he said we discriminate on the basis of achievement. So we tend to hold the CEO of a company in higher esteem than we do the stock person, right? Then he said we discriminate on the basis of affluence, and we certainly do that a lot. So we tend to give wide berth to people who are rich and famous, but we tend to ignore people who are not rich, who are not famous. But the one we're gonna deal with today is the one that is by far the most insidious and, and, and the most unlike God, I think, of all, and that is we discriminate on the basis of ancestry. So we look at people of one color in a different way than we look at people of another color. We look at people of one heritage and one lineage different than the way we look at others. Now, the question is, why do we do that? Well, what is it that's, that's in so many of us that, that makes us want to discriminate on this basis? Well, the second president of the United States, John Adams, who was the first president, by the way, who did not own slaves and was against slavery, he said this, and I think he was right. He said, I believe there is no one principle which predominates in human nature so much in every stage of life from the cradle to the grave, in males and females, old and young, black and white, rich and poor, high and low, as the passion for superiority. That's why we get jealous of other people. That's why pastors are jealous about other pastors. If, if their church is bigger or they get more people coming to their church or their books sell more, you know, because we want to be on top. We want to be superior. Now, the good news for us is this. Jesus had a brother and his name was James. James wrote a book in the Bible with that name. It's called James. And if you want to be finding that book, I'll tell you in a minute how to find it. We're going to be in the book of James. But James actually does us a favor. James actually dealt with the problem of prejudice in the early church because they also had a problem with prejudice. And so if you want to look along in your Bible or whatever you might use, we're in the book of James. It's, it's real easy to find. If you just go all the way to the back of your Bible and turn about three books left, you'll find the book of James. All right, we're in the book of James chapter two. Now, in the case that James was dealing with, he wasn't dealing so much with the prejudice of, of ancestry. He was really dealing on the prejudice of affluence. But it doesn't matter because what James says to the church applies perfectly to the problem of racial prejudice and racism. Now, here's what James is going to tell us. He, this is what he said to the early church. Here's what he's going to tell us. He said, if you are a person of real faith, you're, you're not, you don't just say you're a Christian, you really are a Christian. You don't just claim to be a Christian, you really are a Christian. You don't just kind of word the words, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, you really believe in Jesus. Jesus really is the Lord of your life. He says, if that's true of you, 
then real faith will always evaluate all people by what is on the inside, not by what is on the outside. If your faith is real, you will always evaluate people by what is on the inside, not by what is on the outside. In other words, James is going to tell us real faith never judges a book by its cover. Real faith never judges a book by, uh, by its cover. It's always by its contents. Now, this is gonna be a very simple message because I've told you many times before, and I'll say this a lot of times. In fact, I was reading this again this morning, how it's amazing to me how Jesus can take anything. The Bible can take any complex issue and kind of boil it down to the simple because one of the things we're told today is, well, this whole racial thing is a very complex issue. Now, there's, there's a Greek word for that, baloney. It really isn't. It's really not difficult. And it's really not difficult to navigate and figure out how to get where we need to get. Because what James tells us is there are two simple truths, just two. And if you'll learn these truths and remember these truths, you can win every race. You ready? Here's the first truth we're going to learn. Here it is. Number one, we should look at people the way God looks at people. Now, that's not hard, right? We should look at people the way God looks at people. Now, we're in James chapter two, verse one. He says, my brothers and sisters. Now, why does he say that? Because he wants, to, he wants the church to, he don't want to know and he, he wants you to know. Now, I'm only talking to those of you who are really brothers and sisters. Not all of you really are. You say you are, but you're not. But if you're really a part of the family of God, here's what I wanna say to you. Believers, people who really know the Lord, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show, let's say that word together, favoritism. You must not show favoritism. So here's what he says. Now, we all know that whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, I don't care if you're an atheist or an agnostic, racism and prejudice and favoritism are wrong. But James says they are really wrong, they're especially wrong for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, for those of us who claim to be believers in Jesus. There are two things that cannot coexist together. They can't, redemption and racism. If you've been redeemed, you cannot be a racist. If you're a racist, you don't understand redemption. Now let me show you why. That word, by the way, favoritism, uh, and that's why I love the Greek language, it's a very interesting word in the Greek language. It's actually a combination of two words. One word means face, and the other word means to hold or to grab. So what that word literally means is it means to grab hold of a person's face. In other words, he said, if you really believe in, in, in Jesus Christ, never take hold of someone's face. Now, what that means is not literal, it's figurative. What he means is, if you really believe in Jesus and you meet somebody, you will never judge them for what you see on the outside. That, that just will not, you, you just will not allow that to happen because whenever you do that, it's always a misjudgment. If you ever, I found this, how many times has this happened to you? How many times have you met someone and you just said to yourself, I'm not gonna like that person and they become your best friend? I mean, how many times have you found, how many of you times have, have you met someone and maybe they are having a little bit of a bad day and you thought, oh yeah, he's this kind of person, that kind of person, only to find out, no, you never mistake the moment for the man. When you judge someone by just what they are on the outside, you're always going to make a misjudgment. I was reading about a judge and he was trying to select a jury for a trial and everybody kept giving excuses why they couldn't serve on this jury. And, and so his patience was really running thin and, and, and really getting short. And so he looked at one prospective juror and he said, all right, now you tell me why you can't serve on this jury. And he said, well, your honor, I'll tell you why, because I'm prejudiced and I'm biased. And the judge said, 
Can you tell me why? Well, he pointed to a man in a suit. He said, I took one look at that man and I was convinced he's guilty and I believe he is guilty. The judge said, you idiot. That's not the defendant, that's his attorney. Now, you, you can't always judge people about what they look like on the outside. So James is talking about, he's describing this situation where discrimination is taking place in the early church and this is what was going on. Let's, let's read, what, what, it's kind of an interesting story. James says, all right, suppose a man comes into your meeting and he's wearing some gold ring and, 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 and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and you say, hopefully they'll say it, get with it, guys. Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, he's dealing with this situation, which obviously probably happened a lot back in the early church, where there was discrimination on the basis of affluence. So kind of, let me kind of set up. Here's what was going on. So here, somebody drives up in the church 2,000 years ago, and they drive up in this Mercedes chariot. And they get out in their Gucci sandals. And they've got their tailor-made tunic. And they've got this miniature Rolex sundial around their neck. So he comes walking into the church and boy, the ushers bring him all the way down, sit him on the front row. Well, another man comes in and he's barefooted and he's wearing tattered rags. He hadn't bathed in a week. And they say, you go stand in the back. In other words, they were practicing what we might call economic racism. But it's the same thing. Because remember the word for favoritism back in verse one, it literally means acts of favoritism. He says, if you believe in Jesus, don't ever commit any act of favoritism. So in other words, it is wrong to judge anybody, anytime, anywhere, at any place based on something that is merely external, whether it is the way they dress or whether they wear tattoos or earrings or braided hair or especially the color of their skin, which by the way, is something we wear every day. We all wear our skin every day. And by the way, let me just tell you something I found was really interesting. I didn't know this. Talking about skin, genetic research now shows that the races are not as different as we think they are. Because regardless of the color of our skin, we are hardly different at all. Now, I want you to listen, this is really interesting. What we call racial characteristics, mainly the color of someone's skin, are only minor variations among all people groups. If you took any two people anywhere in the world, you could take a Caucasian, you could take someone, uh, an African, you, you could take a, 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 a Korean or whatever. You could take any two people from anywhere in the world. Scientists have now found that the basic genetic differences between those two people would be typically around 0.2%. So in other words, these racial characteristics that we think are major differences like skin color, they only account for only 0.012% of human biological variation. In other words, here's what we now know. Take any two people in the world and their human DNA is 99.9% .9 identical. But yet we make such a big deal out of the skin. And by the way, the most remarkable thing about the genetics of the human race is just how little diversity it contains in comparison to the animals. The entire human population displays far less genetic diversity than, than uh, chimpanzees or orangutans. 
So to put it simply, to discriminate or, or, or to distinguish among groups of people on the basis of race, it's not just spiritually wrong, it's scientifically dumb. There, there simply is no scientific, genetic, or physiological reason to distinguish anyone just on the basis of the color of their skin. By the way, the Apostle Paul, I'm, in fact, where, where Paul said this, I'm gonna be next week. I'm taking a group of folks to Greece next week. And on Mars Hill, where I'll be preaching some, one day next week, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of pagans in the city of Athens. He said exactly the same thing about the origin of every human being who's ever lived. Listen to what Paul said. He says in Acts 17, verse 26, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now, I don't think Paul realized what he was saying there. In fact, I'm almost 99% sure that he didn't. But what Paul was saying was, we're all from a common ancestry. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. We're all from a common ancestry. Amen. Oh, by the way, little kind of little trivia note. Uh, so Teresa and I, about two months ago, we we're watching, you've probably seen these advertisements about ancestry DNA. How many of you ever done, how many of you done that? Just out of curiosity. A few of you have. So I decided, we decided we're gonna send it off. I, I'm, I've never done that before. So we sent off our ancestry DNA. Well, I got my results back last week. 47% of me comes from Great Britain. 23% of me comes from Ireland. 19% of me comes from Scandinavia. Well, so I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And then I thought, wait a minute, I added that up. That only comes to 89%. So I read the fine print at the bottom of the paragraph and it said 11% bulldog. Now, now, now the point is, the point is, I, I'm pretty much, as you can imagine, you've, you know, you see me, I'm a Caucasian European. That, that's my heritage. I'm a Caucasian European. Well, I, I got my results back actually about three days before Teresa did. And I said, I don't know where you're from, but I said, I'm, I tell you what, I'm, man, I'm, I'm 43% Brit and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 23% Irish and I'm 19% Scandinavian. And, and I thought that was pretty cool until I remembered a conversation that Dr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers had with a lady. She came up to him one day after a service. She was bragging on her ancestry and her lineage. She said, Dr. Rogers, she's kind of snooty. She said, Dr. Rogers, she said, I have traced my family. And he, she said, they actually came over here on the Mayflower. She thought that was pretty cool. Dr. Rogers looked at her and said, well, ma'am, I traced my family all the way back to a crooked farmer, a drunken sailor. He said, the crooked farmer was Adam and the drunken sailor was Noah. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, that's where we all come from, right? We all come from Adam. We all come from Noah. We all come from one man. We all come from one man. His name was Adam. And we all need to give our hearts to one man, the God man, Jesus Christ. So we need to look at each other the way God looks at us. And God looks at us in exactly the same way, sinners in need of a savior. And by the way, we're repeatedly told that favoritism is not even in God's vocabulary. Let me just give you a couple of examples. In the book of Acts, we read that Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, i.e. every ethnicity, every race, doesn't matter what color your skin is. God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This uh, Paul said to the church in Rome, for God does not show favoritism. Now let's just state the truth. If we really had looked at people the way God looks at people, our constitution would have read differently. 
If we had looked at people the way God looks at people, our constitution would have been different. And by the way, James goes on to tell us why discrimination in any form is just so very wrong. Listen to what he says in verse four. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges, and here's the key, with evil thoughts? Now, what did he mean by that? He said, when you judge people on the color of their skin, or you judge people on what they wear, or you judge people on what position they, they have, if you see other people on the eyes of prejudice and you're focusing on the outside, he said, you're doing something that even God doesn't do. Even God does not do what you're doing. As a matter of fact, you remember what the Lord said? I was reading this the other day. You remember what the Lord said to a man named Samuel about a shepherd boy named David who would one day become king? You know, he, he, he had told Samuel, he said, Samuel, uh, Saul, who is now king, I'm gonna take him away because he's really broken my heart and broken my word. And I'm gonna put a great man on the throne. And he said, he's gonna come from a certain family and you'll, you're, you're gonna find out who he is. Well, Samuel already had in his mind, okay, I need to look for a guy that's about six feet tall, he's about 180, you know, really good looking guy, kind of a guy like me, right? So he said, I'm looking for this kind of a guy. Well, no, here's what the Lord said to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. In other words, doesn't matter what color his skin is, doesn't matter how tall he is, how much he weighs, doesn't matter whether his teeth are straight or crooked, it's irrelevant. Or his height, for I have rejected him. Why? The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. That is the only way to look at anybody. That is the only way to think about Anybody. Let me give you an illustration. Think about. It. Let me just. Let me kind of, kind of really put this in perspective. I want to show you a picture. Anybody know what the, what that is? Anybody have an idea what that is? That's the Hope Diamond. How many of you heard of the Hope Diamond? Okay, that's a picture of the Hope Diamond. That is the most valuable jewel in the world. It's in the Smithsonian Institute. It weighs forty five point fifty two carats. Its value is estimated at somewhere between three hundred and $350 million. Now, simple question, you ready? If I took that Hope Diamond and I put that diamond in a black box, would it lose its value? You say, well, of course not. So it wouldn't matter what color the box comes in because what's valuable is not the box. What is valuable is the diamond in the box. Everybody agree with that? Amen. There is a hope diamond in every human being. It's called the soul. Amen. And what's inside of a person is far more valuable than is what is on the outside of a person because what's on the inside is going to last and live forever. Now, let me ask you a question. So is someone's soul less valuable just because it comes in a box that is darker than someone else's box? You say, absolutely not. Every single person ought to be conceived as of equal value because that's the way God sees people. We ought to look at people the way God sees people. But then James says, now once you do that, then you'll do this. We should love people the way God loves people. We ought to look at people the way God looks at people, and we ought to love people the way God loves people. Now, let me just tell you, there's really only one antidote to the poison of prejudice. 
There, there really is only one cure for the disease of discrimination. There really is only one remedy for racism. There really is only one, and it's not legislation. Now, I'm all for legislation. Don't misunderstand me. You can legislate all day long. That will never cure the problem of racism because it's not a problem of the head. It is a problem of the heart. And the only thing that will change the heart is love. And that's why James goes on to say this. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Now, here's what James is saying. If you look at every person as your neighbor, no matter what color their skin is, doesn't matter what gender they are, doesn't matter whether they're tattooed or untooed, doesn't matter whether they work you know, minimum wage or make $500,000 a year, it doesn't matter. He says, if you look at every person as your neighbor and you love your neighbor the way that God does, he says, racism will disappear. Prejudice will disappear. Now, why does James call this the royal law? Because it really is the king of all laws. It really is over every law. Because when you love others as you love yourself, you're going to look at others as equal to yourself. And then James reiterates this. He says this in verse nine. But if you show favoritism, you sin and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. In other words, James says, look, prejudice of any kind is not just a weakness. It's a wickedness. Racism is not a sickness. It is a sin. He said, it is just so wrong. Listen. Here's where a lot of people don't get it. If you don't hear anything else I tell you, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Racism is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Amen. It's not a skin problem. It has nothing to do with skin. It is a sin problem. Racism is not caused by skin. It's caused by sin. As a matter of fact, you know why we look at skin? Because a sin, and to show just how terrible a sin it is, now listen to what else James goes on to say. He says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now, why did he put that in there? Let's go back 2,000 years. Let me have to understand, why, why does he all of a sudden bring up adultery? Why does he bring up murder? Remember, the whole context of those verses is in the middle of prejudice, being discriminatory, okay? Well, there it was economic racism. It could be, you know, physical racism. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if you're guilty of prejudice or racism of any kind, to any degree, for any reason, your sin is just as bad as adultery. Your sin is just as bad as murder, which, oh, by the way, they were considered the top two sins anybody could commit in the eyes of legalistic Pharisees. So as I'm kind of wrapping this up and bringing this kind of a little bit to a close, I, I thought I would do this. I thought, okay, now, I, you know, I can hammer on this point and hammer on this and hammer on this, but I know there are gonna be some people out there listening to me, and I probably, let me just tell you, I am braced for the emails, okay? I'm, I've gotten them before, I'm ready. I may get a couple of anonymous letters, but let me just save you some time. I don't read anonymous mail, okay? So if you don't sign the letter, I don't have time to read it. So, uh, but, but here's my point. I thought what I ought to do is not just tell them why it's wrong, but for them to think about what is right because when you understand what's right and why it's right, then you do right. If you understand what's right, you may not do it. But if you understand why it's right, then you may do it. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you just two theological principles 
that forever tells me forever why racism and racial prejudice should never have any part in our heart, okay? You might wanna write just two words down, all right? The first word is the word creation. That, that, that one word tells me, okay, racism should never have a part in my heart. Our founding fathers didn't get it right in word, uh, got it right in word, they just didn't get it right in deed. They were right. When they wrote those words, all men are created equal. They were bullseye. And where'd they get that idea? All the way back in the first chapter of Genesis, we're told both male and female were created in the image of God. In other words, from the first man and the first woman down to the last man and the last woman who will ever be born, every human being comes into this world bearing the image of God. Now, if that is true, that means that every human being has equal worth and the reason why we have equal worth is because we've all been created in the image of God. Let me just kind of make something plain. Understand this. Governments do not make people equal. People are created equal. God, government only recognizes what God has already done. So all men are created equal. Dr. Martin Luther King said it more eloquently than anybody else. Listen to what he said. He said, we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day, we'll learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and the worth of every man. I add this. Many of you remember Larry King. Larry King was on TV for over 50 years. He interviewed thousands of celebrities and world leaders over five decades. Well, when Larry King retired, he was interviewed. And they asked, Dr. They asked Larry King this question. They said, of all the interviews you've ever done or ever did with anyone, which of the interview do you feel was the most important interview that you ever conducted? Well, Larry King never hesitated. He said this, I was with Martin Luther King Jr. in 1961 when he was trying to get into a hotel in Tallahassee, Florida. The hotel wouldn't give him a room even though he had a reservation. The police squad cars were coming because he was blocking the entrance. He knows he's going to be arrested. I'm there right next to him because I was invited there by his lawyer. Dr. King sits down on this porch in front of this small 20-room hotel. The owner of the hotel comes up, walks up to Dr. King, and with a stern look on his face asks, what do you want? Dr. King said nothing. The owner got in his face and in a stronger tone of voice said, what do you want? And Dr. King looked at him and simply said, my dignity. Dr. King was right. He just wanted the dignity that God's given to all of us. Because let me tell you something, every human being has a God-given dignity. Even Children with Down syndrome, for example, they have God-given dignity. People who are born with physical imperfections and deformity, they have dignity. And people of every race have dignity. 
equal dignity. Not because the government says so, not because a document says so, but because God says so. And someone said it this way, prejudice is when a first-class citizen is thrown on the junk heap of second-class citizenship. And see, that's what racial prejudice does. It downgrades people from the way that God sees them and it degrades them from what they really are, creations in God's image. So the first principle I read, the first theological truth I know of that tells me automatically, we're all equal and skin does not matter at all and race doesn't matter at all is the principle of creation. But then there's another principle and it's crucifixion. So what do you mean? Just as God created all of us, Jesus died for all of us. Jesus didn't die just for white people. He didn't just die for rich people. He didn't just die for educated people. He didn't just die for famous people. Jesus died for all people. There is no discrimination at the foot of the cross. You know why? You know why we can all sing that song, Amazing Grace? You know why a white guy can sing it and a black guy can sing it and a Korean can sing it and a Chinese can sing it and an African can sing it? Do you know why we can all sing that? Because God believes in amazing grace for every race. God believes in amazing grace for every race. Jesus died for every race because he loves every race. Now, I hope a lot of you will leave here and say, well, Pastor, that was great. That was positive. Thank you. Hope that helped a lot of people. It really helped me, blah, 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 blah. Now, more than any message I've preached in a long time, here's what I want to ask all of us in this room, especially those of us who are white, and especially those of us who are listening right now, you're white. Here's my simple question. So what are you going to do with this message? I mean, what are you really going to do about it? So I want to make a suggestion. I want to kind of tell you how I'd like for you to, to what I'd like for you to do with this message, okay? Quit denying and start applying. Yes. Quit denying and start applying. So, okay, what do you mean? All right, well, instead of putting a lot of energy into trying to deny that racism is still a problem, why don't we just admit that we need to put all of our energy in trying to help this country heal racially? And why don't we put our energy into trying to do everything we can to see that we need to do what we can to free this nation from racist thinking? So the question is, how can we do all that we can to bring racial harmony and peace to a nation that we all know still faces racial division, it still faces racial strife? Well, I'm gonna give you two suggestions. We're gonna wrap this up. First thing I would say is this. Show, th show sympathy to people who are in a minority. Let me tell you something I did not too awfully long ago, and I don't even know why I did it, but it really changed me. I tried to imagine, I closed my eyes, I was in my study for five minutes, I'm a black person. And I tried to imagine that I traced my heritage all the way back to the 1700s. And my ancestors were enslaved on a plantation. My ancestors were considered three-fifths of a person. And my ancestors basically had no rights that I've always taken for granted as a white person. I'll tell you something, it'll change you. It'll really make you think.
Because when you look at the world through the eyes of others, let's face it, let's be honest. Everybody looks at the eyes through their own rose-colored glasses. And I've learned something. You start seeing farther when you see through other people's eyes. Second, and this is more important to me, or, or at least as important. If you're not in a regular relationship with people outside your race, you're already behind. Can I be honest? You're already behind. When is the last time you had a person of a different color in your home for a meal? When, when is the last time you went out and, 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 and if you fish or you play golf or you tennis or, what, or, or go to a movie, when is the last time you invited someone of a different race just to participate? When is the time you, last time you've gone out of the way to cultivate someone of a different race? You say, well, I haven't. Well, there's a prejudice you need to eliminate. You say, well, you know, the phone works both ways. You know, I get that. But I'm saying this as a white man to white people. We're the ones that need to step up. Because the cold hard truth is, some of you are not going to like this, but look, it's the elephant in the room. We created the problem to begin with. And it's time for us to step up, not just out of white guilt, but out of Christian love. To stand up and say, you know what, pastor, you're right. I, I do need to reach out. I do need to be one of those proactive. I believe I can be a help. So I'll wrap up. There was a movie that came out. Some of you know, maybe, may have read the book. It was based on a novel by Jane Austen called Pride and Prejudice. Great movie with a great title. And I got to think about that the other day because, you know, if you think about it, pride and prejudice are just two sides of the same coin. Here's what pride is. Pride is when you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Prejudice is when you think less of others than you ought to. And neither pride nor prejudice has any place in the heart of a believer. And when we understand that God created all of us equally in his image, and when we understand that Jesus was crucified for all of us equally as sinners in need of a savior, you know what'll happen? we'll start looking at people the way God looks at people. And we'll start loving people the way God loves people. And when we do that, we can win every race. Let's pray together.